Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny E is for Extinction, the show where we take a look at Grant Morrison in the driver's seat and Chris Claremont trying to grab the wheel from the passenger seat. I'm your host, New X Nico. I'm Extreme Dylan. And I'm Uncanny Jonan. We hope you survive the experience, unlike Joe Casey's run. What the fuck happened here? Oh my, like, Jesus Christ. Okay, like, I mean... It feels like this can't have possibly been a year ago that Joe Casey was taking over the X-Men, and it it all seemed so promising. Everything seemed like it was going to be a little bit of the best of everything, and, you know, Grant Morrison was going to come in, and he was going to shake everything up, and Claremont was going to do, like, good Claremont. I mean, I kind of can't believe they let a book go to print called Extreme X-Men. I feel like somebody somewhere had to get fired for that. But Joe Casey comes in, and, like... If you think about it, if you like really contextualize the order of this revamp, his first issue, Uncanny 394, that kicked off everything. That was Gene and Logan and Scott and Xavier and Gene and Logan are making out on the cover and it's the fucking hottest thing I've ever seen and I can't believe, uh, number one, I can't believe the shit he got, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's take a step back. We're here to talk about the demise of Joe Casey's Uncanny. This was a wild roller coaster. When they announced Joe Casey taking on Uncanny, I was genuinely shocked and pretty impressed because it seemed like a pretty bold move for Marvel, who was tired of playing it safe with the Uncanny X-Men. I mean, guys, how can the Uncanny X-Men compare in a world where we have Ultimate X-Men? Ultimate X-Men by Mark Millar, which is just killing it every single month. I mean, sometimes I wish we were covering that. But instead, we're over here in 616. Jonah, I know you haven't been following Uncanny. You've been over in New X-Men, and that's been unbelievable. When we started that thing, we were like, how are they going to put Cyclops and Jean and Emma and Xavier and Beast on, like, this one team, and then Xavier's got a secret sister, and then there's this issue with a, a weird guy, Zorn, in a mask, uh, looking at a hamburger? <laughs> and Glob Herman! And Beak! And uh, how can we forget Angel Salvador? Jonah, I know that you're, you've been standing Emma since day one, but like, I feel like, especially since that annual, you've really become attached to Zorn. I have, and he's such an interesting character, you know? Who doesn't like a mutant who has a star for a brain? It's so cool. It's sort of like that high fantasy science that Morrison is known for. Like, he's got a star for a brain, and you're just like, what? And Xavier's walking. I mean, I'm just, I really am pretty overwhelmed with how incredible the journey in New X-Men has been. Now, Dylan, we've been reading things over in Extreme X-Men, and I feel like it can't possibly be the same book that Claremont started, because there was that first unbelievably long arc, and okay, so for those of you just tuning in, Extreme X-Men had a weird start. Now, it seemed like Beast was going to be a member of the Extreme team, and Psylocke is a member of the team, but then Psylocke dies in the second issue, and Beast is written out in, like, the third issue, but there's a miniseries that he's sort of in that they rushed out in the middle there, and then the whole plot stops being about Destiny's Diaries. Oh, and by the way, Bishop might be related to Gateway, and there's a dude named Vargas. (laughs) Dylan, what the fuck happened? I'm still not sold on Sage. I think Sage is still working for the Hellfire Club. Dylan, this first, like, year and a half of Extreme X-Men has been, like, these two unbelievably long arcs, and right now, Lifeguard and Slipstream are getting a lot of attention, and I just don't know what Claremont's plan is there. What are you seeing for these characters? I feel like with Extreme so far, kind of just like how uncanny 
and new are being written at this point in time, it it feels like Marvel is almost playing against itself, even with Claremont on extreme. The success with the ultimate line being a completely different universe for the Avengers and the X-Men, it's almost as if Marvel for 616 is trying to make something super outrageous, and I guess extreme would be a pun in here somewhere, of just <laughs> throwing a whole bunch of new things towards a bunch of our fan favorite characters that kind of doesn't seem like it's sticking very well. All of the team in Extreme, first of all, even just having Sage on a team is a little odd, but it seems like there's a bunch of new stories being thrown at characters and it's not necessarily coming off well because it's not no- what we're used to for every single one of them. You know, and the more I think about it, I'm not trying to push it, but if you if hear me out, Emma is in new X-Men, right? Sage is over in Extreme X-Men and Warren is in Uncanny. I'm having a hard time believing that there isn't going to be some kind of major Hellfire takeover in the next two years. That's just my opinion, but we'll see what happens. However, today, we're talking about the weirdest, saddest thing. I honestly thought that Joe Casey's Uncanny had so much potential. The most exciting thing for me was how quickly he embraced new characters. His first major arc, Poptopia, saw the upgrading of Chamber following the fallout of Gen X. Chamber started dating a celebrity, and the fallout was... Okay, maybe the visuals on this arc were a little bit stronger than perhaps the arc itself, but it was running against E is for Extinction. No matter what Poptopia did, it was going to pale in comparison to the death of 16 million mutants, which I still, a year later, I still can't believe I'm saying the death of 16 million mutants. Jonah, I asked you to come on and start this show with me. Jonah, I know you were pretty surprised to hear that Chamber was joining the X-Men because he was a character you didn't know so much about when you joined the show. What is it like trying to come into this franchise, seeing characters that you're not familiar with treated as though they have these extensive backgrounds? The way I best describe it is when a new character joins a sitcom and you have to try to like them you know I think of George Lopez his daughter being replaced by his niece it's a whole new character you have to try to understand and see where their relationships go and you know having Jono join the X-Men is I don't know it's just I'm just weirded out by it I I need more from this I need I need the stories to focus on characters that are already established. Well, I mean, the other thing is Gen X is sort of feeding every book. Banshee and Jono both turned up in the pages of Uncanny. Emma, like we keep saying, is like the breakout hit of New X-Men. Grant Morrison, you know, that diamond form. Um, there's going, like, I cannot even imagine the number of toys and action figures they're going to do of that diamond form. With so many characters getting the spotlight, Dylan, everybody seems to want to introduce new characters, right? We got Morrison, who's introduced an entire school's worth of kids, and Claremont is introducing new characters left and right in the pages of Extreme or Extreme Savage Land or whatnot. But, like, a number of your favorite characters got really sidelined. Line, except for Joe Casey's X-Core, which was, you know, his biggest arc, your characters didn't really get a lot of love. There's no X-Force right now. There's no Excalibur right now. The X-Men are just a bunch of, like, big team books. I'm not very happy. Like you mentioned, a bunch of teams like X-Force and 
X Factor and Generation X. None of them exist. It's just mainly the big X-Men split off into three different names. I'm missing some of my favorite characters like Warpath and Siren. Now, I mean, we definitely still have a book called X-Force and like it's obviously my favorite book on shelves right now, but it's not really X-Force. It's Pete Milligan parading under the name of X-Force. I'm, I still have my money on they are trying to like mess with Rob Liefeld and that's why they're keeping the name. But we had that weird terrible X-Factor miniseries thing. I don't even know what that was. We had Morlocks and Brotherhood. It's like everything is trying really hard to get gritty. Speaking of gritty, there were a couple of points in the Joe Casey run, specifically that weird little chunk after Poptopia, the introduction of Stacy X in that weird little small town Texas <sighs> annual. While Did ex- you just gargle, uh, Dylan? To yeah, he just gargled because he's not into legalized mutant sex work, I guess. Dude, it is 2002. We are looking at a new mutant age right now, okay? 16 million mutants had to die to birth mutant culture. There can be mutant whores. Fine. Let them be whores. Let them be whores. (laughs) But in all reality, I think my biggest problem wasn't Stacey X, but rather what she represented. With so many of the big names pulled onto other teams, Joe Casey's team never really felt like it had that binding tie. It had a number of recognizable characters, sure. It had Nightcrawler and Iceman and Angel and Chamber, who's recognizable enough, but it did very much feel like these were the characters that were left over after Claremont and Morrison took their fair share. Now, I kind of don't think there's any way to put it off any longer. The X-Core arc was... You know, when I thought about what issue 401 might mean for the X-Men, what bold new direction issue 401 might bring, this would not have even come anywhere near it. For those of you who just listen for new X-Men or Extreme X-Men, because frankly, they're so disparate at this point, you can just listen to one at a time, this arc saw Banshee form a new team called the X-Corps. This is his attempt at creating a worldwide network to protect people. Dylan, because this is not just your guy in the form of Gen X's Banshee, but it's also kind of your thing. This is every Z-lister I can think of. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what the X-Core is? Yes, I love X-Core. This was Banshee's way, like Nico just mentioned, of putting together a team to help protect mutants all around the world. Banshee was trying to follow Xavier's dream, but in a more realistic fashion to go with the times. And he put together a team of his former students, and also, kind of shockingly enough, some mutant terrorists. His team consisted of former students like Husk and Jubilee and Monet, along with Radius from Alpha Flight, Multiple Man, and Sun Pyre. And then the mutant terrorists that were a part of the team were Avalanche, Blob, Fever Pitch, Abyss, and Mystique was also a part of the team, but she was in disguise as a character named Surge. Well, okay, and that would have been fine enough, but she slit Banshee's throat. (laughs) As one does. It's Mystique. However, the punishment was bizarre. She got thrown into Abyss's Abyss. I genuinely don't know that we're going to see Mystique again. Well, I mean, at least she went out with a bang. At least she used her powers effectively this time, as opposed to pretending to be someone already in a fight. 
You know what I mean? I felt like she wasn't working toward mutants' best interests, and this just wasn't Mystique for me. Banshee is a broken man, and it's like the X-Core is already dissolved. And this final few issues, man, I hope Nightcrawler gets treated better in the next run. So, I guess with knowing that X-Core had been the way that Banshee tried to create a mutant outreach, I guess I'm really curious to see what X-Corporation is going to be. So, this month just saw two issues of New X-Men hit the stand, and one of them was a standalone with Zorn, the other one finished out that amazing Imperial arc, and I can't even begin to tell you guys how great that was, definitely pick it up, but it looks like Xavier is gonna form something called X-Corporation, and I think the preview pages actually showed, Dylan, some of your favorite characters are gonna be in this next arc, uh, I think like Warpath is showing up. Yeah, it looks like X-Corporation is going to be a, a big network, not just the tiny little one that Mr. Sean Cassidy was working with. It looks like it's going to be something worldwide, and with something like that and a good chunk of mutants still out there, I think it is going to be awesome. We might see some characters that we haven't seen before, or haven't seen in a long time. I will be excited when this extreme arc that won't end ends. We're on issue 16. It looks like next month's issue 17 will finally be the conclusion of this arc. One of the things that we're talking about is how many new characters have been introduced in this era. And we saw Thunderbird, right? The new Thunderbird, Neil Shara, and Stacy X and Zorn. And, you know, I think these three characters are going to really stick around. Jonah, if you have one hope for Zorn, who, like I said, you've been standing since day one, what is it you hope to see Zorn do? I know you're really drawn to him. So I really, I would really love to see something unexpected from Zorn. I would really love, you know, this really badass moments with him. I feel like he has the potential to be someone so badass, and I would love that. I would love to see him get another spotlight and to like really show who he is as a character. Welcome back, everybody, to XI4P Reload. I'm your host, Omega Dylan. I'm Janosha Jonah. And I'm Retcon Nico, because clearly we're still in an era where nobody cares about canon at all. This is not Magneto. Magneto died in New York. We are, I, you know, it feels like every couple of fucking weeks we're resetting somehow. You know, it felt like Planet X was the end of everything, and then Here Comes Tomorrow was kind of the end of everything, but then, goddammit, Austin got two issues of New X-Men. And he used them to undo everything that Cassandra Nova ever was right? And then he sort of gets this new team and like, I can't believe it. Annie gasp, I can't do this anymore. And her son, Carter gasp, I can't do this anymore. Finally leave the fucking mansion. I, I, number one, I could not believe they kept Austin on the book after the reload. Jonah, I know that this show initially began so that you could explore X-Men and the first thing we explored together was new X-Men. In the interim, Dylan and I were talking about Uncanny and the adjectiveless run by Chuck Austin. So you're coming in fresh off of finishing New X-Men. Before we can even talk about anything else, do you want to talk a little bit about your reaction to the events of Planet X and Here Comes Tomorrow? 
Uh, the queen herself gets with Scott. I think it's such an unlikely couple, and it's really exciting to see where their relationship is going to go and grow. I was uh, so happy that Jean's final dying wish was for Scott to be happy and to not reject Emma in the moment. Yes, and now I can finally, I can like go up to people, and I, I have a catchphrase now. I'm just gonna keep saying to everyone, did you think you'd live forever, you little speck? I'm just gonna say it to everyone forever. So, alright, for those of you who read Grant Morrison's new X-Men, you're probably pretty shocked by Joss Whedon's astonishing X-Men, but before we can even get into that, it is my understanding that in E for Extinction, it is revealed that there is this thing, Cassandra Nova, she uses a descendant of a Trask to command some sentinels to kill 16 million mutants. It is then my understanding that we discover that Cassandra Nova is the Mamundra of Charles Xavier, that is to say, the dark mirror of his soul, the yin to his yang, pure evil that exists inside of all of us at creation. She was evil from the start, tried to kill him in the womb, and he ejected her telepathically. She clung to life as some sort of weird, aborted, psychic, sewer, fetus cell thing, eventually building herself up enough to take over her brother and use that capacity to command a Shi'ar starship, which she then brought to rain hell upon Earth. At the end of Imperial, my precious Jean, may she rest in peace until she comes back, hopefully very, very soon. Jean managed, with, I guess, Emma's help, to put Cassandra Nova into the Shi'ar stuff, which they then essentially turned into a young girl named Ernst. So I guess I'm left wondering how in New X-Men 155 and 156, frankly, two issues that never had the right to bear the name New X-Men, because that's, that's Grant Morrison's thing, and this is fucking two random issues by Chuck. Austin, where they assert that Ernst is not stuff with Cassandra Nova, but rather stuff with Cassandra Nova is trapped in a creche underneath the mansion? I really hope this never comes up again. This is weird. What a weird, needless retcon. I thought it was bad enough when, out of nowhere, Magneto shows up in Genosha just fucking fine. But this complete undoing of who Cassandra Nova was in two issues by another writer. Now, this is kind of a hotly contested thing. Jonah, I know you're coming into this after the fact, but Jonah, if I'm not mistaken, your favorite X-Man of all time is a certain Banffity Banff Banff by the name of Nightcrawler? Uh, that is correct, yes. Okay. Now, Dylan, I imagine we have not always agreed on the Chuck Austin run of Uncanny X-Men. There were certain characters during Austin's run that I didn't really care for, but I did like that Austin's run gave us some more in-depth to certain characters like Nightcrawler and Iceman and Angel, because I feel like they were some core X-Men characters who had kind of not really been in the limelight for a while. I know at this point in time, it had been many years since Nightcrawler had returned to X-Men since leaving Excalibur. And I feel like when he left Excalibur and came back to X-Men, he kind of didn't really have too many stories that revolved around him. And Iceman and Angel both kind of hadn't really had too much story. They had a few things here or there, especially Iceman with zero tolerance, but 
feel like some core characters got limelight again. And also one of my favorite Generation X students, Husk, was promoted to the X-Men for a while. I liked Austin's run and I liked the characters that he chose to write, except for that frog-looking thing named Stacy. My favorite critique I ever read of Chuck Austin, say what you will about exploding communion wafers and wedding cutlery magneto helmets, but Chuck Austin never once turned in a script late. Ooh. I mean, the guy was publishing like five books a month sometimes, it seemed. I'll be honest. I was not sold on almost anything he did for my sake. It was not always my kind of storytelling. I was not as big a fan of crucifying former students on the lawn. I thought perhaps the cutlery helmet was a bit much. And, well, I do, however, love Sammy and Kane. Jonah, I know I've told you a lot about Sammy, and I can't wait for the day you have the time to read this run and you get to love Sammy Pare as much as I do. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Now, one of the things that this era of X-Men has been really known for is every team needs its villain to reform. And I think we owe that to the recently departed Mr. Morrison, who gave us the great Emma Frost redemption. Chuck Austin's work on Juggernaut has been the kind that I genuinely never thought that Juggernaut could go evil again after this period of time. Although Chuck Austin's exit run leaves me kind of scratching my head. I feel like way more important to talk about in this era are some of the Nightcrawler status quo changes. Whether it was finding out that he was never really a priest and was rather mind-controlled into believing he was a priest, and then they were going to have him become the Pope so that he could then have his image transducer turned off, revealing that he was a demon sending all Catholics into insanity, so then this crazed former nun could detonate the nanites she had stored in the exploding communion wafers she was going to replace the Catholic supply of communion wafers with? I think when that's not even your toughest story to get through, you're definitely talking about a really dynamic run. It really was. That's part of what I was trying to get to with loving how Austin's run led into a lot more character depth for or leading to four characters like Nightcrawler who had been missing from pages for a while. And speaking of Nightcrawler, I made a prediction that Mystique would be back. I said that I thought she was going to show up at the mansion at the end of Casey's run, but took a while, but hey, she showed up here. Now, we know all about Nightcrawler's dad, Azazel. Oh my god, he looks exactly like Nightcrawler. Red. Red. I wonder <laughs> if that's going to be a thing Marvel does. Like, I wonder if they're going to just start swapping the colors on things. Like, could you imagine, like, you know what would look really stupid? A Red Hulk. Or a Red She-Hulk. A Red She-Hulk would be really... St- what are you going to do? Bring Betty back? Like, you know what would even be weirder? Like, the gender-bent versions of characters? Like, the same character with the same name and everything, but they're a different gender? That's deeply problematic, and let's hope they don't go on a deeply transphobic journey where they decide that the only way you can become more villainous than you were recently was to randomly switch genders. I hope they don't do that with Loki and Mr. Sinister and dozens of other people all in the same month. I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind with Chuck Austin's run is It actually started very different than it ended. It began in a period of time when Grant Morrison could do no wrong. He kind of picked up the threads of X-Corporation. Dylan, do you want to talk a little bit about X-Corporation? 
This version of X Corporation was one of my favorite things that's been in X-Men books. It went off Mr. Cassidy's original thoughts when he made X Corp. A bunch of different teams in tons of different countries around the world, like Singapore and Mumbai. There was lots of mutant characters that were stationed in different areas of around the world to help protect mutants and characters like Warpath and Darkstar and my favorite girls from Gen X of Husk, Jubilee, and Monet. Characters like Feral and Thorn. A bunch of characters that I love, which are all Z-list characters that are brought together in different parts of the world to help protect mutants is amazing. I mean, especially with the Z-list characters, it's giving them some spotlight and kind of also in a weird way kind of saying, hey, they are still X-Men, but one of the reasons you don't see them is they are in all these smaller countries protecting the next generation of X-Men. Jonah, I know you saw that firsthand in its earliest incarnation in the pages of New X-Men. That was how the X-Men initially found one of everybody's favorite parts of New X-Men Academy X right now, Soraya Dust. Yes, Soraya was found on a mission in the Middle East. She's amazing. She is a tremendous character. I I believe she has a really potentially strong future at Marvel, not just because she offers a unique visual design, but because of what that visual design entails. The future of comics is inclusive, and the future of comics only has room for people who have room for everyone. Dust represents strength, power, and a quiet resolve to not be removed to not disappear, and I really look forward to seeing what this character has to bring. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for 198. I'm your host, New Jonah. I'm Astonishing Nico. And I'm X-Factor Dylan, and we hope you survive the experience. I I don't know how I'm going to survive this one. I'm like so bummed out because, you know, when they said that Pete Milligan was coming on to take over for Chuck Austin, and I mean, I was no great lover of the Chuck Austin years, but they weren't terrible. They said, hey guys, for losing Grant Morrison and for the fact that Joss Whedon can't seem to get an issue out, we're going to reward you with Pete Milligan, the guy who did Shade the Changing Man, the guy who did X-Force Ecstatics. We're going to put that guy in X-Men. And then this is what we got? You know, it started off strong enough with Golgotha. And, you know, Jonah, I know how much you hate her. So when that cover came out and Emma Frost looked evil on the cover and everybody celebrated because they thought that Pete Milligan was going to make Emma Frost evil. But then, okay, guys, I'm starting to notice something weird. It seems like every run for the last few years, the secret bad guy is always Mystique. Mystique was a mistake. Mystique was a mistake, okay? Because this one's bizarre. In Casey's Uncanny, Mystique was secretly Surge and slashed Banshee's throat. In Austin's Uncanny, Mystique revealed that she fucked a demon and made Nightcrawler. Okay, fine. Here, Mystique is a young mutant named Fox... And there's seriously, like, an actual fucking page where Rogue has to say, Mama, did you sleep with my boyfriend? Yeah, the whole, like, shower scene with Fox and Gambit. 
that shower scene. Understand he was trying to do a soap parody. There's parts of it I get. Like, one of my favorite moments ever was when he made fun of everybody making Lorna crazy. And there's that amazing scene between Lorna and Alex where Alex is like, Lorna, I need you to stop being crazy. And she's like, I can't. I found the man I'm going to marry. And he's like, oh, who's that? And she's like, this guy. And she points to Dupe, who is going by the name of Dap. And Alex is like, no, that's an alien, honey. You have to come with me. And she literally says, no, but I love him. And, like, attacks Alex to be with Dap. (laughs) What? I think the part that I didn't see coming was where that's how they were bringing back Apocalypse. Wait, hold on. Hold on, wait. Hold on, wait a minute. Put a little love in it. Bring it back. (laughs) What did you just say? Yeah, dupe who's not dupe who's dap, dap who's not dupe though. That looks like Slimer. What is he dapper? The fact that this is the book where Storm and Black Panther have their first conversation in 25 years, and then the next month, she decides to quit the X-Men and marry him? She wasn't even in this book! (laughs) The hell just happened? Anyway, so one of the things we've been getting a lot of questions about from people is what exactly the Apocalypse canon is. Now, I don't want to get too excited, but I'm really thinking that this relaunch with Ed Brubaker on Uncanny, they're calling it an, an epic rise and fall of the Shia our empire. We're going to see what that's all about. His Deadly Genesis was awesome, so hopefully this is as good. But they're also saying that Mike Carey is going to come on. That's like Hellblazer Mike Carey, Lucifer Mike Carey. So hopefully that's going to be any good. But I guess we need to take a look back at Pete Milligan's real, real average run before we say goodbye. However, there is one thing I think everybody could use a little bit of clarity on. Now, Jonah, when you think of Apocalypse, what are the other characters that come to mind? his horsemen. Yeah, you know, and that's the one I think of too, but Apocalypse is this weird mix of technology and magic. He has a group of followers and, like, his own herald and his herald is, like, Ozymandias and his group of followers are known as the Clan Akaba. Dylan, I feel like that's something you might know something about. Yeah, I tend to like a bunch of villains when it comes to X-Men, so when it comes to Apocalypse, Apocalypse has a following. They are called the Clan Akaba. They are actually a former small village type of people that were around when Apocalypse was born. When Apocalypse grew and his mutant powers manifested, the people of this village started following him and realizing that he was very powerful and he would reward them. As Apocalypse aged and most of them would die because they can't live eternal like he can, he would continue to have descendants that would each have portions of of his abilities in their blood. Some of them would manifest powers, some of them wouldn't. The clan was completely all about the survival of the fittest, and Clan Akaba has been documented as being a part of a lot of historical events, especially like when Rome went down, it said that Clan Akaba is the one that lit the match. The descendants of Apocalypse and Clan Akaba have been a part of almost every important disaster that has happened in most of Europe and the world, and recently we just were enlightened that a few X-Men that we have started to love over the past couple of years, one character that I know that Jonah loves, characters like Chamber and Blink have been revealed to be descendants of Apocalypse. They come from being the great-great-great-grandchildren of certain Akaba members whose last names are Starsmore, and then Blink's great-great-great-grandfather is a character named Frederick Slade who slept with a prostitute whose last 
name was Ferguson, and that is Blink's last name. So Klanakaba has been around, and actually now it shows that Klanakaba has kind of, in a way, slightly infiltrated the X-Men. The prostitute wasn't Stacy X. Oh, hush. <laughs> What an amazing segue, Jonah. So Stacy X saw her untimely removal from canon through one of my actual all-time favorite stories, a story called Weapon X by Frank Thierry. Weapon X by Frank Thierry is a spectacular examination of what you can do if you take the idea of Weapon X and you apply some unique characters to it. It's one of the only times I genuinely love Marrow. It is an exciting story. And Frank Thierry's Neverland storyline actually did see the demise of Stacey X. Hopefully she comes back to us someday somehow. And it also is of note that Frank Thierry is the one who initially introduced Apocalypse Genetics into Chamber in the pages of New Excalibur before writing this year's Apocalypse vs. Dracula. So Frank Thierry seems to have his eyes on Apocalypse. Who knows if he's going to be the guy to do something big with the character soon. The schism has shattered the X-Men forever. Everybody, welcome back. I am your host, Gene Gray School for Higher Learning Headmaster Nico. I'm Extinction Team Dylan. And I'm Generation Jonah, who's stuck in the middle. I feel like I don't even know what the hell's going on in the X-Books anymore sometimes, but I do know that after five gorgeous years, one of my all-time favorite X-Men stories is coming to a, a devastating conclusion. That is, of course, the end of Mike Carey's X-Men Legacy, which sought to clean up a lot of confusing canon, and there's so much to talk about. I don't want to waste any time. This is one of my favorite stories ever, and it, it started so different than it ended. It ended having done that gorgeous Age of X story, which was amazing, and there was all that gorgeous Legion work, and Frenzy, who that had always been my dream to redeem Frenzy. I'm so glad he did it so beautifully. There were just so many great things in his run. But early on, his run dealt with that Supernova's arc and had these really major characters in it called the Children of the Vault. Dylan, do you think you could help me explain the Children of the Vault a little bit better to Jonah? I think it's that they were essentially humans that went into this time dilation stasis pod and artificially evolved an extensive amount of time in an incredibly short period, ultimately becoming an unrelated strain of life, kind of like that ridiculous dominant species story by Chuck Austin, where he asserted that werewolves were going to usurp mutants as the dominant species. You kind of nailed it on the head to exactly what they are. They are just super genetically modified humans, possibly like the next level of humans. Who knows, maybe sometime in the future we might get some sort of future storyline about how humans have evolved like way beyond mutants. But for now, we just have the children of the vault who seem to really hate the X-Men. But that was an amazing run. It had an amazing team that I loved. I loved Rogue leading her own X-Men team for once and having characters like Omega Sentinel and Lady Mastermind be a part of the team. This was a really good story. And I think the children of the vault is a good 
villain team or anti-hero team that would be really cool to learn more about and hopefully they become a very dynamic force that the X-Men have to deal with for years. Now, speaking of dynamic forces that the X-Men have to deal with for years, you mentioned Lady Mastermind and I know that she's a super duper fan favorite character and you've asserted on more than one occasion that you think it's because essentially she's a blonde Chris Bacalo design that wears a slutty purple version of Emma's costume, what's not to love, right? And I know, you hate Emma. I'm so tired of hearing you hate Emma. God, you hate Emma, you hate Warpath, you hate Monet. You really have a problem with Z-list characters, and specifically Hellions and members of Gen X in particular. Of course, my favorite character is Feral, second place being Thorn, so who am I? Dylan, you're someone who's trying to catch up on all of these years of X-Men. I know you know the Dark Phoenix saga well. And you know Grant Morrison's new X-Men well. It's hard to take a look at the face of X-Canon as it's changed over the course of 60 years without seeing certain key elements always come up. We can't seem to escape the looming specter of the Dark Phoenix as it eclipses the rest of X-Men. Whether it's knowing that you're going to come across iterations of the Phoenix, like this AVX crap that's coming up, or it's knowing that there's more than one mastermind out there still continuing to fuck with the X-Men to this day. You've read New X-Men, so you know New X-Men in its entirety is a love song to the Dark Phoenix saga, with the exception being Here Comes Tomorrow, a love song to Days of Future Past. No matter where you go in canon, you kind of can't escape Jean and the Phoenix saga. Having looked at so much of it, how do you feel about where we started reading Uncanny X-Men with Giant Size Number 1 and seeing those seeds that you asked to see? seeing the X-Men grow and knowing where these characters got their start. How does it feel knowing that we can pretty much source all of it back to a handful of places? Even though there's like 50 years of X-Men canon, we started where we started because everything continues to reference it. Now, I understand when someone writes something that you think is amazing and you get multiple out of the same person, you kind of just want to replicate that success and you see what works and you try to make a formula out of it by constantly going back back to what worked and it makes it seem like well what was the what's the point of even continuing if all you're ever going to do is constantly reference the exact same stories over and over again it's going to get kind of tiring do either of you or do any of our listeners hang out with the same people who only has the exact same stories to tell I would find that friend kind of boring. Yeah, I would not. That would, mm-mm. no thank you. Bad storyteller, bad. Yeah, I would interrupt them and be like, we've heard this before. We can move on to something new and fresh and uncanny. And un- And extreme. Canny. Extreme even. Guys, I are we even still on Krakoa? I had the weirdest dream. Jonah, you were there, and Dylan, you were there too, and it was like we were answering the most common questions we get while chrono-skimming through alternate reality versions of ourselves to answer these questions in the most confusing way possible. Man, Nico, your dreams are really weird. Mine are just involved flying. Like, what happened? When we started this whole thing, we were just talking about X-Men comics, and now we have performance art. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, maybe that's what you would call it. That's 
Absolutely, guys. I love being on the Quiet Council with you guys. It's been such an incredible year here at Exodus for Podcast. Whether it was expanding our format to two days a week so we could cover Hawks Pox or it was bringing on Dylan full time, it's just been exciting to see the show transform. This is, of course, coming out right before the Christmas holiday, and we hope you guys are having a merry and bright one. So I know that we have some big, exciting things coming up in the next few episodes. On Thursday, we're going to have We Are Krakoa, which is going to cover an unbelievable number of issues. Excalibur, Marauders, X-Force, New Mutants, and Fallen Angels number four, all of which come out the same day. Following that, we're going to have a special two-part episode where we take a look at the Marvel Universe's 1000 and 1001, two issues that are set to redetermine the fate of the Marvel Universe before taking a look at Christmas Day's only Marvel comic release, Incoming. Following that, 80s X-Men Mutant Mania is going to resume its normal schedule. We have some incredible episodes coming up, so you're gonna want to check that out. And until we return, guys, I just love getting to share this with you and with our listeners, and until we have another happy holiday episode, Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group called House of X or on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? I'm having weird, vivid dreams where we talk about books that I may or may not have read. In addition to that, you can also find me... You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That is P-E-A-K-J-O-N-A-H. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network. I am unbelievably lucky enough to release something like three to four episodes on this channel a week. And it's all because of the amazing Joey, who takes way too much care of me. So I want to thank Joey and Chris Podcasts, of course, for bringing me in for now and again. Super sad to see that it's on hiatus, but it's a good hiatus, and we'll be back at some point for sure. I want to thank everybody who's contributed to this show over the course of this last year, whether it's all of our backup contributors, so Demanda Martini, the incredibly hysterical Matthew Scott, the insightful and emotional Dr. Matthew, whether it's Tori, who, Tori Sheehan, my artist and writing partner, who I get to edit on Capes and Boots, and she contributes regularly to Kid Riot and the Riot Squad, our, our amazing comic over at Kid Riot Comics, which we make with Kevo and Taryn. Taryn, who's also contributed, Kevo, who's over on the Captain Britain feed, covering that with me. I just want to thank you all so much much for being a part of this show. I know we have dozens of more contributors coming on, and I can't imagine that I haven't missed somebody already. There is, of course, the incredible, the amazing, the wonderful Kyle, who this show just could not exist without, who has given us so much throughout the year. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please don't forget to check out Kevo and my show, HTML. We have covered every inch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in theaters. We have covered every inch of the X-Men Fox Marvel franchise, and we've examined every minute of the Alien and Predator franchises. This holiday, however, we are doing something that we have never done before. We have assembled an unbelievable and unforgettable team of the HTML guys, Jonah and Joey, and together the four of us have watched Freeform's competitive gift-wrapping show, Rap Battle, and we have put together a three-part holiday special for you, like you have really, you really don't, you really cannot imagine what we've done. 
so you need to listen. And, of course, you can check out the original Christmas song I wrote, Cage Club Holiday, in that show, or my theme work on shows like this, HTML's regular edition, as well as Too Fast, Too Forever, Joey's groundbreaking Fast and the Furious podcast. If you want to look at pictures of me and not just listen to me, you can take a look at photos over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, it means more to me than anything to get to spend this couple of hours with not just my friends, but our listeners. And it's been a real cool time. Guys, until we come back to Krakoa, Gray Malkin, Muir Island, the Lighthouse, wherever you may lay your mutant hat, happy holidays and we'll see you. Have a happy holidays. (laughs) What I love is that you don't care. You just want to sing for people. And that's the spirit of giving. Whether or not they want it, you do it.